Today we want to continue our study in the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you're so inclined, there is an insert in your bulletin that you can make use of uh, to jot down some notes as we study together. We are in Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Let's just pause for a moment in prayer as we begin our study together. Father, we thank you again just for your watch care. Just as we have sung, just the blessing of being able to say, it is well with my soul, whatever my lot. For you will never leave nor forsake your people, but are always working for our best and eternal good. We thank you for the blessings you pour out to us so richly each day, especially for the blessing of your word, which teaches us not only of things for us to comprehend and understand, but mostly of your glory and of our great Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. As we open your word now, I pray that your spirit would prepare our hearts to receive your truth. How I pray, Father, that you would give us understanding and transformation as we study together. Provide me with wisdom and clarity, faithfulness to your word, and a blessing to all who hear. To the praise and honor and glory of our wonderful Savior, we pray. Amen. Discernment. According to Webster, discernment is acuteness of judgment. The power to perceive differences between things or ideas as well as relationships. Discernment is absolutely necessary for every one of us. Just from a personal standpoint, growing up, I loved milk. And a number of years ago, I poured myself a glass of milk, drank it down, and said to my wife, Kathy, is there something wrong with this milk? She took one whiff, one swallow. She had the discernment to know it was spoiled. I lacked the discernment to know that I was drinking rotten milk. Now, that might be a humorous story, a true story. I don't like milk anymore because of that situation. But the reality is we all need discernment in every area of life. I am so grateful that my phone, a lot smarter than me, tells me now when there's a fraud alert. Someone's trying to contact me to coerce and conjure in me some great opportunity that I need to take advantage of. It seems so persuasive, so right. But sadly, very often, we don't have the discernment to know whether or not we're getting hoodwinked or it's valid. How often do we hear of the fact that so many of these shysters prey especially on the unsuspecting and the elderly? Doesn't always guarantee that just because we get older, we necessarily have discernment although it is often associated with maturing. In the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews tells us that the mature 
have trained their senses to discern between good and evil. Things can look to be so genuine, so beneficial, so good, but in reality, they're to our detriment. That's why we have experts who are trained to have the discernment to know the difference between a genuine dollar bill and a counterfeit because counterfeits are made to look so uh, alike the genuine that individuals can be tricked. Even Jesus himself stated that very often individuals can have discernment about certain scientific things, but they really lack the perception to know what's going on in life. Remember when the religious leaders came to him and said, show us a sign that you're really from God, recorded for us in Matthew chapter 16. And Christ responded by saying, you know that when the sky is red at night, you're going to have good weather tomorrow. But in the morning when the sky is red and threatening, you know that storms are brewing. You can discern the signs of the times, but you don't, uh, excuse me, of the weather, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. You and I live in a time when very few people have discernment to really know what's going on in our day and what's taking place. And thankfully, we know that God provides us with not only the wisdom, but the good sense and discernment to perceive the things that are happening. And Solomon brings that out in Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Now, just very briefly, this book written by Solomon is one of the books of wisdom. And it's written for the benefit and the sake of every human being who ever asks the question, where is that I find meaning and purpose and fulfillment in life? And Solomon's answer is that you're not going to find it in the temporal things because they'll always let you down. That meaning, purpose, fulfillment, and satisfaction in life is found in a relationship with God. Trusting him, fearing him. Him as your focus, him as your foundation in life then you'll understand what is your purpose for being and existence. And then you will begin to have a sense of well-being and fulfillment in life. Basically, in chapters 1 through 6, Solomon develops the theme that all that is temporal and the pursuits of man that have been done from one century after another will always let man, uh, let man down and leave him empty. And then he says in chapters 7 through 12, let me give you some deductions that you need to keep in mind. And in particular, in this section we're looking at, he has been talking about the superiority of wisdom and just how essential and beneficial it is as we go through life. And that shouldn't surprise us because in the book of Proverbs, Solomon made it very clear. If you are an individual that is fearing God, that is the Old Testament idea of trusting God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge and understanding are found from, are given from him. And so in chapter 10, verses 16 through 20, Solomon says, Woe to you, O land, whose king is a lad, 
and whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed are you, O land, whose king is of nobility, and whose princes eat at the appropriate time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through indolence, the rafters sag, and through slackness, the house leaks. Men prepare a meal for enjoyment, and wine makes life merry, and money is the answer to everything. Furthermore, in your bedchamber, do not curse a king, and in your sleeping rooms, do not curse a rich man. For the bird of the heavens will carry the sound, and the winged creatures make the matter known. Solomon's perception at first was the fact that there is a contrast to a people based on the character of the leadership over it. He says, woe to you. That is, expecting disaster. Judgment is coming. Something that is detrimental is taking place. And in contrast, in verse 17, he says... Blessed are you, O land. That is, to have what is beneficial, to have what is necessary and appropriate, what is for one's well-being. Then we also see that he uses the term land to describe the individuals that inhabit that nation or that country. So he is saying, I need to recognize that certain detrimental things will come to me and all of those associated with me as a nation, as a country, if certain things are true. And I also recognize that benefit and my well-being will be true along with those who make up the uh, nation in which I exist if other things are true. What makes the difference? The character of the leadership, the character of the leadership. And the first thing he states is, woe to you, O land, whose king is a lad. Now, the Hebrew word translated lad is nair, and what it really means is youthfulness. It is used of an individual basically in the Old Testament to somebody up to the age of 40, But figuratively, it also means someone who is immature. And he states that when the governing authorities are immature, they don't have the capability of handling the affairs of state and giving attention to what needs to be done. There is detriment that is going to come to the people who are part of that nation or country. Woe to you whose king is immature and whose princes feast in the morning. And so the idea is that these are individuals who take advantage of their position, of their opportunities, and use it for their own selfish benefit. The idea of feasting in the morning means they're neglecting the things that ought to be done. They're having an end-of-the-day type of party and celebration when the day is just beginning. And what these individuals who have a position of rule and authority should be doing is attending to the uh, affairs of state. So what is it that he is stating? 
Well, what is detrimental is when individuals in the place of leadership are using it for their own selfish purposes. They are negligent of fulfilling their responsibilities and instead taking advantage of all that's provided for them and to them for their own personal gain. In contrast, he says, here's what's beneficial, wholesome, and for the well-being of a nation, of a people group, of a country. He states, whose king is of nobility and whose princes eat at the appropriate time for strength and not for drunkenness. So if I look at the analogy and the difference... Those who would be associated with nobility, number one, it doesn't guarantee that everybody who has got royal blood in their veins is going to be an individual of quality character that will be beneficial for the people that are being governed. But it's the idea that they were trained, they were groomed, they were prepared for the position of authority that they would be holding. And he says that the nation is blessed who have people ruling over them, who have been groomed and trained for that position, who understand their responsibilities, who aren't abusing all of the privileges and benefits they have. They're not using it for a way of benefiting themselves, but instead that they are using it for the well-being over those whom they govern. So in the morning... They need their sustenance, but they give their attention to the affairs of state. They take uh, very seriously the responsibilities that are before them. So what's Solomon saying to us? Discernment. What you need to understand is the character of your leadership will determine the condition of your country. Isn't that right? If the leaders of the country neglect their responsibility and are selfishly using it for their own benefit and neglecting to give attention to the details that need to be uh, overseen, then there will be detriment to the people that are part of that nation. On the other hand... If these individuals recognize the solemn responsibility that's been given to them, that that position of leadership is not for their own benefit, but that they might be instruments of bringing benefit into the lives of others and give proper attention to the affairs that need to be addressed. Those individuals will prove to be beneficial for the well-being of the people. It used to be stated that individuals who were in public office were public servants. I don't hear that term used much anymore. Instead, what we find is that individuals who are in positions of authority are typically politicians. Some of them lifelong politicians. 
And when it comes to this time of the year and it gets ready for elections, most of the individuals will tout what they think the populace want to hear in order than really dealing with the issues that need to be addressed. And as long as I can win the favor and the support of the majority, then I'll be in the position of authority. I have to confess, there are very few of which I can find great confidence because we no longer really have the idea that the one that is the greatest among you, let him be what? The servant of all. As Christ Jesus himself stated, that your position of authority is for the well-being and benefit of others. Now let's apply that. Because it isn't just look, uh, looking at a national circumstance, but can't you see that analogy in a local church? Can't you see it in local government? Can't you see it even in the home? And if you have individuals who are leaders in the church, individuals who are leaders in the home, who are individuals that recognize that my role and my responsibility is to be an instrument in God's hand to bring benefit and blessing to others, then those who are under my sphere of authority are going to be benefited. When I think it's a way to glorify myself or to uphold my position of authority, to use it for my own sense of well-being, those individuals who are under my sphere of influence are going to find it to their detriment. Not only did Solomon perceive that the condition, uh, the uh, character of the leadership determined the condition of the country. Notice he says in verses 18, in verse 18, through indolence, the fact that individuals are characteristically lazy They're neglecting to fulfill their responsibility. They're slothful. Maybe it starts with procrastinating. Maybe it's the idea, I'll take care of that tomorrow. What happens? It says the rafters sagged. And through slackness, literally through keeping your hands down at your side, instead of picking them up and taking care of the task that's there, The roof begins to leak. The point is, temporal things always need attention. They always wear out. And if you're not paying attention to them and giving them the uh, needed work, they're going to deteriorate and you are going to be receiving the detriment from it. But Solomon is not just talking about what happens with the neglect of temporal things. He's using it as an example for us to recognize. Guess what happens if we neglect spiritual things? The rafters sag and the roof leaks. I'm not prepared for what is going to come. I don't have the discernment that I need in order to deal with the things that take place. We are the quick fix people, right? We like 
the McDonald's, just as an example of all the fast foods, the immediate. And sadly, we carry that over to think that maturing as a Christian is something that is a quick fix. It is something that happens instantaneously. But what I need to understand is God is growing trees. Mighty trees, stability of character, Psalm 1. And these individuals have a fortitude and strength in life. And it doesn't happen overnight. And if I begin to neglect that which is most essential, my spiritual growth and well-being, there is a time coming when my roof is going to leak, when I won't have the reserve for the problems that I'll face. That's why David in the Psalms, therefore let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. For surely when the flood comes, they will, it, he will not be overwhelmed. The point Solomon is making and what you need to discern and understand. Spiritual things in your life are the top priority. How often the tyranny of the urgent crowds out what is most essential and important. And what I need to learn from the fact that temporal things need constant attention in order for them to be maintained is that my spiritual walk needs daily attention as well. Luther is the one who stated of his own walk with the Lord where he said that if I should neglect prayer even for a single day, I would lose some of the fervor of the faith. Constant, diligent attention. We recognize that both wisdom and discernment come from the Lord and that there is a maturing process that is taking place. And so, God's people need to give attention to it. Verse 18, uh, 19 says, Literally, a meal is prepared for enjoyment. Wine makes life merry. Money answers all. Now, some have looked at this as possibly a negative statement made by Solomon. Others have seen it maybe as positive. And if it's looked upon as a negative statement, it flows within this passage where he begins talking about the character of leadership and then the fact in verse 20 that I need to be sure concerning leadership that I don't curse the king in my bedchamber. And so the detriment would be that these are individuals who are abusing their circumstance just to satisfy their own desires. The problem with that is Solomon is not condemning anything in this statement. He is making a statement of fact. And the statement of fact is, is that meals are prepared for enjoyment. Wine provides joyous merriment, makes life merry. And money answers all. So what would Solomon have in mind? Well, the first would be the fact that when it comes to the various meals, it's designed by God to be something that is satisfying and enjoyable to the individuals. Meals are prepared for enjoyment. 
There is not one individual here that sits down and says, I'm going to prepare a meal of something I really don't like to eat. Some of us are more particular than others. Senior Bush wanted nothing to do with broccoli. And you can bet Barbara never sat down and put a plate of broccoli out for George. The same is true for every one of us. A meal is prepared for enjoyment. We want something that is satisfying with what we eat. And part of it is it's God's design. Have you thought about the wisdom and the goodness of God? Things don't taste the same. He's not only given us the taste buds, but such a variety that he's placed within this world for us to eat. And it's a way in which he is saying we should be enjoying the meal we're having. Not only is it the fact that meals are prepared for enjoyment, there is a social factor that is associated with them. Meals are designed for us to have time together with people we love or we're getting to know. One of the great things I've seen on various mission trips with individuals that have been appreciative of ministry that has been brought to them, you know what's one of the first things they often say? We want to have you over for dinner. We want to prepare a meal for you. It's a way in which they're expressing appreciation. It's a way in which it's designed to get to know one another better. It's all part of God's providential hand that we recognize the goodness of God and the blessings that he's given. Meals are prepared for enjoyment. I've had to eat meals by myself. Those meals don't taste as good as eating them with someone else. It's the recognition that in God's design, he has provided for, it, for us that we might enjoy it. You say, oh, that sounds more Old Testament than new. Then I encourage you to read 1 Timothy chapter 4 where Paul said nothing is to be rejected, but God has given us all things to eat and richly enjoy. Wine makes life merry. You understand that God is the source of that merriment? He's not talking about drunkenness any more than he's talking about gluttony. You know, I can abuse the good things that God has given, but in Psalm 104... As the psalmist describes all that God has given for the blessing of his people in verse 15, he is the one that provides wine to make the heart of man merry. And money answers all. It's the reality that it pays for things. One of my wife's favorite movies is It's a Wonderful Life. And Jimmy Stewart was in a tough spot. Couldn't find, I think it was $8,000. And he asked God to help him out. And along comes an angel by the name of Clarence. And so Jimmy is interacting with Clarence and says, you wouldn't happen to have $8,000 on hand, would you? And Clarence says, no, we don't use money where I come from. And boy, the zinger line from Jimmy Stewart, it sure helps out down here, bub. 
Money answers all. It pays for it. Isn't that how we acquire the things that we need? It's the recognition that it's God's design for how our provisions are being met. What Solomon is indicating is the fact that God has designed for his people to have provision and blessing even though they have great perplexities, problems, enigmas in life. Everything he's been saying. Notice what he says down in chapter 11. Verse 8. If a man should live many years, let him do what? Rejoice in them all. And let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything that will come will be futility. What do I know I have? I have the moment. And God has blessed me with provisions. Some have greater provisions than others. And I should thank him for them and use them to bring honor to him and enjoy the blessings he's given. And finally, he says, let me caution you. In your bedchamber, don't curse the king, and in your sleeping rooms, do not curse a rich man, for the bird of the heavens will carry the sound, and the winged creatures will make the matter known. Now, the idea of cursing isn't just criticizing, although that's part of it. It's asking God to judge. It is taking an oath and saying, may God tear down this individual. It is a hostility of heart against the authorities that be. Notice the parallel statement. Not only don't curse the king, but also a rich man because they're the ones that have the greater provisions. And the recognition is not everybody in the place of authority is going to be the most satisfying to each one of us. Isn't that right? We all have our opinions of who would be uh, good to be our leader, to be our ruler. A number of years ago in my Nair days, youthfulness, my immaturity, I thought... I'd really be a good president. And you laugh at me, but I know every one of you, at least on Monday, says you would have been a better coach. Armchair quarterbacks and armchair coaches are the ones who have the mentality, I don't like the way they're doing it. I could do it better. The reality is you can't, and nor can I. I don't want to have to wrestle with the insurmountable problems that man has brought upon himself that have no solution that any human being can ever accomplish. The only one who will bring in the righteousness, the peace, the sense of well-being that we all long for is the Lord Jesus Christ when he establishes his kingdom. Everyone else will make stabs and attempts and things might be a little bit better or things might be a little bit worse. But no human being in and of himself 
has the wisdom, the capability, and the discernment to deal with all of the problems that have to be addressed each day. Solomon very wisely recognized that. And when God came to Solomon and said, ask me whatever you want, you know what Solomon's answer was? It was a very wise answer. Lord, you've given me the responsibility of governing your people. Give your servant a wise and discerning heart for who is capable to govern this multitude of yours. A real humility. And God gave Solomon riches and wealth because he didn't focus on that. And Israel enjoyed the golden age of Israel in the days of Solomon. But it was because God gave Solomon a wise and discerning heart. What I need to understand is the individuals who are in the positions of authority are there because God placed them there. He is providentially uh, moving to accomplish that which will bring glory to his name and the fulfillment of his purpose. No wonder in Psalm 2, the psalmist says that the peoples of the earth imagine a vain thing. They're saying, God, we don't want you in our national life. We don't want you to have any part in what we're doing. You're irrelevant to us. And God just sits in the heavens and laughs. He says, as for me, I've already established my king upon my holy hill of Zion. And so the conclusion of Psalm 2 is, show discernment, O kings of the earth. You may ignore the fact that God's accomplishing his purpose. You may think God is irrelevant. You may think that he's not moving among the nations of the earth to get everything ready for the return of Jesus Christ. You may think Christ is not coming and going to rule on the earth, but the reality is he is. Show discernment. Do homage to the Son before his wrath is kindled and you perish in the way. What Solomon wants us to understand, the concept we have in this passage, is that only those who trust in the Lord are the ones who have the ability to really enjoy his blessings, even in the midst of all the perplexities of life. And those who trust in the Lord need to be the ones who diligently seek wisdom and discernment from him. Because if you don't, you're going to end up drinking something far worse than rotten milk. You won't have the discernment to take care of the problems and perplexities that you're going to face in life. You'll end up wondering, what should I have done? What can I do? The reality is, God says, if you seek for wisdom like a buried treasure, if you're diligent to pursue the wisdom that comes from him, he will open his hand and provide it in abundance to you that you might know when there's a fraud alert, even if your phone doesn't tell you, that you might have the discernment to deal with the problems and the perplexities of life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again for your truth and the opportunity that we have to look at it together.
Father, may it not just be intellectual understanding that we gain, but more importantly, may your spirit deepen our relationship with you. For those that know you not, to bring them to yourself. And that in all things, Father, you might provide us with what's essential to handle the problems and perplexities we face each day in the way that is for our best good and for your glory. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.